Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. What's going on, guys? Joe McCall here with the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. You're in for a good treat today. On this show, we're going to have a guest that I had on recently, Brent Roman. We're going to be talking about a very, very serious topic and you know what we can do about it. This podcast is all about real estate investing, uh, but this particular topic of racism, fair housing, discrimination, it affects and impacts all of us. And this is a very important topic to talk about. And I found out about this and when I first heard about it, and I'll share a little bit of my kind of story into it. I, I thought, yeah, you know, I thought that was that that ended with the Fair Housing Act of 1968. And I met uh, this gentleman we're going to have on here in just a minute, Brent Rome, and uh, he started kind of opening my eyes to the the serious problem that it still is today. And it's easy for me, you know, above middle class, wealthy white guy, way out in the suburbs, to kind of not realize that this is still a problem. And so we have responsibility as real estate investors to make sure that this blight upon the United States disappears forever. So I wanted to read something to you before I brought our two guests on. And uh, this is from the brochure from these guys. So you can kind of understand what we're talking about. So bear with me as I read this. It won't take me long, but this is really, really important to understand. Did you know that from 1934 to 1962, roughly 98% of home loans in the United States went to white families? 98%. All right, Joe, that was 1934 to 1962. But guys, 98% of home loans during that time frame went to white families. Many factors contribute to poverty. However, poverty among African-Americans in the United States stems from a long history of state-sponsored discriminatory practices related to housing. Throughout the 20th century, that's the 1900s, local, state, and federal governments enforced policies that incentivized home ownership in flourishing neighborhoods for white people only. As a result, wealth in white communities compounded and passed to future generations, while wealth in black communities dissipated. So by the time these practices were officially outlawed in 1968 with the Fair Housing Act, the die had been cast. Decades of state-sponsored housing discrimination had created pockets of deep poverty and deprivation among black residents in St. Louis and other United States cities. The consequences of these policies continue to impact millions of African Americans to this day. And this ministry we're going to be talking about today is specifically trying to help people here in St. Louis. But again, this impacts, and this is for everybody. For many Americans, a home is not only a place to eat, sleep, and raise a family, but also their largest asset. Home ownership in flourishing neighborhoods is a major key to reversing the downward economic spiral affecting millions of African Americans. Home ownership in flourishing neighborhoods provides a lot of valuable benefits. And there are six, or at least six or seven of them here, right? Number one, wealth. Home ownership in flourishing neighborhoods increases personal wealth and generation wealth. I think we would all agree with that. Safety is number two. Home ownership in flourishing neighborhoods provides increased safety and peace of mind. Number three, income. Home ownership in flourishing neighborhoods provides opportunities for better jobs via socialization and networking. Number four, education. 
Home ownership in flourishing neighborhoods provides access to high-performing public schools. Next, health. Home ownership in flourishing neighborhoods provides access to nearby healthcare facilities. And finally, nutrition. Home ownership in really good neighborhoods provides greater access to grocery and retail stores. Some of this stuff you never even think about, but there are a lot of people thinking about this every single day. So your investment in housing equity will yield exponential returns. And so I wanted to get Brent and John on the podcast here to talk about what's going on. Is this still a problem today? And what can we do about it? So let's bring Brent Rome and John Keel. How are you guys? What's up, Joe? Thanks. Glad you're here. I'm joined. uh, Brent, I had you on the podcast a few months ago. I talked about this topic. I'd encourage you all to go listen to that again. Um, We I had a great lunch with you guys just a a week or two weeks ago. And I wanted to get you back on the show because you guys have made some great progress on this issue. And uh, you had a goal that you didn't meet, you exceeded, <laughs> and uh, which is so awesome. So can you guys introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about the FAM and what you guys are doing here in St. Louis? Sure. Uh, yeah, my name is Brent Rome, and um, I'm a pastor here in St. Louis in University City and in the Shaw neighborhood. And yeah, so, several years ago, I, I pulled up the, um, the indenture on my, on my home the, the legally binding document that tells you where to build a fence and where to put your downspouts. And I was very surprised to find uh, on the legally binding document in my neighborhood, New City, that black people and brown people were prohibited by, by law from owning a home in my neighborhood. And it was written in, into my indenture. It, was, uh, it wasn't written out of my indenture until 1993. I was still in there, you know, but like on the on the bottom with a little asterisk saying, you know, like this isn't this doesn't not enforceable anymore. It actually wasn't enforceable after 1968, but it wasn't taken out till 1993. That kind of opened my eyes, Joe, to like, wow, no, no wonder St. Louis looks the way it it does because for decades, you know, people who were able to to buy homes and build wealth and pass wealth along, even modest wealth, you know, really got a leg up. So that I began to do a lot of research and got people that are smarter than me to join me in this effort. And we launched an organization called the FAM. Well, technically, like at the, at the beginning or at the end of last year, uh, 2020, yeah. it really, we really got kicked off the summer of this year. Right. Um, we had a goal to help five African-American families purchase their, their first home. That was our, that was our goal for this year to, to, and, and you know, the goal, the, the goal ultimately is to eliminate race as a factor in home ownership. It's great to have all different kinds of factors to determine whether somebody wants to own a home. Do they want to own it? Do they, are they working hard? Are they, you know, there's a lot of great factors, but race should not be a factor that you can look at and say, oh, if you're black, you're less likely to own a home, significantly less likely. Uh, and if you're white, you're significantly more likely. If, if, if that is the result of decades of uh, the consequences and the effects of decades of, of our own systems and, and, and laws, we should address that. We should fix that. I'm a Christian. And so for me, it's a sort of, it's a Christian duty. It's like, let's, let's just, let's get in there and let's fix this thing. It's a problem. So we had, we had a goal of, of five, uh, five families. And uh, that was our goal for this year. And I'll turn it over to John to tell you how we did. Yeah. yeah. So, so as of last Friday, we put our 17th uh, family into a home, which is uh, 17. Yeah. Which is wonderful. Uh, <laughs> we wanted, we had the modest goal, not because we thought there would be a, a lack of need or interest. Uh, there was no lack um, of applicants for sure, but 
we wanted to kind of learn as we went, and, and we have. We, we've kind of had the opportunity to better define our niche and, and what works and what doesn't work. And, and so we're very excited, and, and our goals for next year are even more aggressive, of course. So, All right, it, so I want to talk in a minute about, you know, we're not going into the city and revitalizing homes, right? Yeah, yeah, we're, yeah. we're helping them buy homes in, in really nice neighborhoods. Correct. Right. Yeah. The goal is the goal is basically, you know, from 19, 1920, let's just say, or 1910, actually before that. But anyway, 1920, let's say to 1970, roughly, black folks were not allowed to, were not allowed to purchase homes in most of the n- nice neighborhoods in St. Louis. And in the home in the neighborhoods where they were allowed to purchase homes, pr- those neighborhoods were predominantly redlined, meaning the government said, like, we're not going to go, we're not doing any loans there. We're not going to put any grocery stores there. We're not, we're not going to do any investing in those neighborhoods. Those are redlined neighborhoods, not investing in those. So what happened is those neighborhoods, and you can go drive through them, you know, just like a couple miles north here, fell apart. You know, uh, there, there was no, no investment in those neighborhoods. Property values went down, white folks left. And so they just, the, these neighborhoods crumbled. So not only did, did the, the codes and the laws and the, and the, you know, the, all of the legal documents and, 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 and rules and, and restrictions incentivize uh, white home ownership. It also simultaneously crushed black home ownership and crushed black wealth building by and large. Now, obviously a lot of black folks have figured out a way to navigate out of that, but overwhelmingly, just statistically, you gotta, you just take a look at the map of St. Louis today and you see exactly what happened. You see the consequences of what happened from the 1920s until you know, Talk way. a little bit about St. Louis, the makeup here, because um, on your website, and it's been a little while since I looked at it, but there, there are certain zip codes right next to each other Yeah, that have this, a huge difference. And, and talk about that for a second, would you? Yeah. So like the, you know, Clayton and the Jeff Vanderloo uh, uh, neighborhood, R- radical difference, right? In turn, well, one's almost all, you know, predominantly largely white and one is 90 some percent African-American. And I mean, the, 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 the differences in wealth, the differences in employment, the differences in educational opportunities. And what's really striking is the differences in life expectancy yeah. is, I believe it's 12 years. Yes. I, might, yeah. I think it's right. I think it's 12, 12, like you will live on average 12 years longer in the Clayton neighborhood than you will in the Vandaloo neighborhood. Yeah. Um, let me share this. This is from your website right yeah. now. Uh, so these are two zip codes right next to each other, yeah. 63105 and 63106. Yeah. And it might be hard to see right now. I'll, I'll try to zoom in a little bit, actually. But the racial makeup uh, won't let me zoom in anymore. On the left, on the nicer zip code, is 78% white, yeah. 14% other, 9% African-American. On this side over here, it's 2% white, 95% African-American. Unemployment is 4% over here, 24% over here. On this side, 7% below the poverty line. Over here, 54% yeah. below the poverty line. Over here, the median household income is 90 grand. Over here, it's 15.15. Life expectancy over here is 85. Over here is 67. I don't yeah. think anybody can look at that and say, oh, this, this, this still isn't a problem today. This still doesn't affect us today. Well, the fact that all of those numbers fall along racial lines leaves you with kind of a head-scratching issue, right? You yeah. either have to say, well... I guess I guess black folks just as a as an ethnic group, maybe they don't work as hard. Maybe they don't want to make as much money. Maybe they don't care for themselves as well. Right. So you either, you have to come up. You have to look at that and go, how is that? Why is that that way? 
Why is that that way? And if you scratch the surface just a little bit deeper, you go, oh, it's kind of like if somebody got punched in the face and you don't see him get punched in the face, but when you see him, they've got a black eye. The question is going to be, how did you get that black eye, right? If they said, well, because I got punched in the face and you go, I don't, nobody's punching you in the face. There's yeah. nobody punching you in the face, right? They go, no, no, but I got punched in the face, you know, 10 minutes ago. Now I got a black eye, right? So what we see in, in, in St. Louis is, I don't know that we have, you know, and different people have different views on this. I don't think we have uh, overtly, we certainly don't have overtly racist laws that prohibits black people from buying homes in St. Louis anymore, right? So that, that's all off, that's gone. That, those went away in 1968. What we see is the black eye. What we see is the wound of the historical policies that, that were put in place that prohibited, not, not only prohibited blacks by and large from gaining wealth, but actually crushed the wealth that they had, that they could accrue by disinvesting from those neighborhoods while incentivizing uh, wealth in white neighborhoods. So, so, so we're seeing the effects of somebody getting punched in the face. And so our job now is to go, okay, how can we help, like, uh, how can we help make that whole, right? Nobody should walk around with a black eye. Brent, somebody's going to, somebody's going to say, what, what does it matter to me? You know, I didn't cause a problem. Yeah. Why should I have to do anything to fix it? Okay. Fix it? So let me give you, let me give you my reason first, right? Cause I'm a, I'm a Jesus guy. I'm a faith guy. I'm a believer. So now that if you're not, if, if, if members of your audience are not, I'll, I can still come around with another reason, but from a believer standpoint, right? There's a great, come on. A, okay. <laughs> there's a parable called the good Samaritan. The good Samaritan is a guy who's walking down the road, sees a guy beaten up on the side of the road. He didn't do it. He had nothing to do with it. He wasn't culpable. He did not have anything to do with the injustice that had been perpetrated against the guy. But he sees a guy against whom there's been an injustice. And what I love about the story is the Samaritan took responsibility irrespective of culpability. In other words, he didn't say, it's not my fault. He didn't say, I didn't do this. It's not my responsibility. What he said is, there's a guy who's been hurt. And what I'm going to do is try to make him whole. So in the story, he puts him on his own donkey, takes him to the, takes him to the inn, gives the innkeeper the money, says, nurse this guy back to health, right? And if, if, if this isn't enough, I'm going to swing back by and make sure that he's made whole. And Jesus goes, that is what it means to love your neighbor. So that's, that's Jesus's description of what it means to be a Christian. It means when you see an injustice, even if you don't see it happen, even if you didn't do it, even if it's not your fault and you don't have any relationship to anybody who caused it, right? It's still our responsibility as believers. If we see the results and the ramifications, the effects of an injustice, it's our job to go take care of it and fix it. And so that's that's my reason from a from a faith perspective of, I see the, the, the lay of the land in St. Louis exactly paralleling that parable from Jesus. I see a group of people that have been harmed by, and you, you can do the research, you know, like it's not, it's not hard to, to find how all of this, this was done. It was done uh, through laws and, and principles. Like I said, it's, it's on my, it's on my indenture, on my friggin' house. So it's not hard to find. And this was um, only one generation ago. Yeah. yeah. There's nobody listening here today whose parents were not born before 1968, right? So this is one generation. This isn't like, oh, slavery 400 years ago. No, this is like your parents, my parents, you know? 
and probably a lot of your listeners were born before 1968. If they have a black friend, and if they're a white listener, and they have a black friend born before 1968, they have a friend who was who was negative, who experienced negative discriminatory laws against them. They, their, their friends were not able to buy a house in most neighborhoods in St. Louis, most flourishing neighborhoods in St. Louis prior to 1968. And, and this is why I wanted to, to get you on the show, because this isn't about white guilt. This isn't about trying to make us feel bad. Right. Um, but it's like, here's an opportunity that yeah. we can do something, uh, just a little bit, to yeah. help make it better for a few families. Yeah. And this is why it's I got vision, so excited about it. It's a vision of a new St. Louis, right? Yeah. The vision of a St. Louis where race is not a factor. You know, when we, as Christians, when we go, man, I just want to be colorblind. I just don't want to see race, right? Well, one way to help to help eliminate race as a factor is to is to lean in and and actually see the consequences of race, right? And uh, and and what we've done as a as a culture and a society, and then go, okay, let's if we really want to make race less of a factor, there are ways to do that. Like, let's do that. Let's have let's have a vision of St. Louis where you're no more or less likely to be rich or poor or own a home or not own a home. Your race does not play into that. Your race is not a factor in that. That's the vision of St. Louis that we have. And and this is why I wanted to get you on the show because who was the guy who walked? There were two guys that walked yeah, past That's right. that guy that was beat up. Yeah. It was a it was a Levite. And a Levite. And a Levite. Yeah. The most honored, respected religious yeah. people of that day. Yeah. And I don't want to be accused of being that guy yeah. who walked past, right? Yeah, it was one. Two guys saw it. I mean, this is so natural, right? You see it. You go, it's ugly. I don't want to go near it. I actually want to go to the other side of the road and avoid it. Yeah. So this topic, man, it's going to make a lot of people go, yeah, that's an ugly topic and it's scary and it freaks me out. I don't have to fix it. So I'm going to the other side of the road and I'm just going to like avoid it. And I get that. I completely get that. That's what I would prefer to do, you know, myself. But but at a certain point, somebody has to go, okay, this screwed up over there. Let me go see what's going on. And Jesus says, that's that's my guy. My guy is the guy who says, I'm going to go see what's going on. I'm going to dig in. I'm going to figure out what's going on. And then I'm going to help. There's a lot of sins of America, a lot of bad things that we've done. I think racism is probably one of the greatest sins of our nation. And uh, I want to see America prosper. Yeah. I want to see our housing and uh, uh, prosper, our economy prosper. And uh, I think this is one of the most important things we can do to help yeah. with this. Okay, so talk about what you guys do at The FAM. I'll put the website up here again. You guys can yeah. take a look at it. TheFAMSTL.com. There it is. The FAM. First of all, what does FAM stand for? Uh, it stands for Fair Access to Mortgages. Nice. And it also has that kind of vibe of like, dude, we're going to be there. We're going to be like, we're going to be the fam. We're going to be like a cousin or an uncle or somebody who came, who who cares for you and, and loves you and wants to help, you know, kind of get you nice. across the finish line. Nice. All right. So what do you guys do? What, we, the se- these 17 families that came yeah. this last 2021, which is yeah. awesome. I remember hearing your goal. Before you'd even done one of those, Brent. Yeah, yeah. Right. And now all of a sudden, let's go out and have lunch, and you've done seventeen. Yeah, we got we got ten more lined up that are now pre-approved. And no, I'll let John that, talk. that we've actually committed to. Yeah, so, yeah. That, that we're going to close on those homes within the next few months, and then we got another probably got, another dozen that yeah. we're talking to, trying to get ready right. to get pre-approved for a mortgage, and then we assist with financially with down payment and closing costs. Uh, one of the things that probably differentiates us is we're pretty generous with that assistance. There are, are other down payment assistance p- 
programs. Uh, but we have as a minimum 10,000 and we go as high as 20,000. Uh, our intent is to make a strong impact uh, to change the tra trajectory for a family, not to just get them to barely squeak by and get in. And of course, that increases the probability of foreclosure um, and, and other issues. And so we, we try to as Pastor Brandon said, lean in and, and, and come in strong. And we continue to stay in touch with our clients. So we want to make sure that they know that we're still in their corner, that we want them to be successful. Uh, what could be worse to find out that a year from now, someone's in foreclosure that we helped. So we want to make sure that doesn't happen as much as possible. And so the process is pretty easy in that if they are African-American, if they had an ancestor that was born before 1968 in the United States, lived in the United States, that's it on, on the race side of things. And then in addition to that, we have some generous uh, parameters in terms of income. And then we uh, commit to a certain dollar amount. Uh, we do strongly prefer, we've made a couple exceptions, but we strongly prefer that they do not, that they're not already under contract. We would like them to take this ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars in their hip pocket and move to a more flourishing neighborhood, right? And and be able to have uh, some level of cushion going into home ownership because stuff happens, as, as as you all well know, stuff happens in that first six nine months. And so we, in that time period, not only have we been generous in what we give, we also want to stay in touch uh, with assisting with maintenance of the home etc so there's there is a strong desire on our part for the success of our to change that trajectory and it dr dramatically does i mean the 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 wealth gap between blacks and whites as a result of past dis discriminatory practices in housing is 10 to 1 for every dollar that whites have uh, black households have 10 cents and in our 17 families i think there's only 15 or there's only two that don't have a negative net worth. Yeah. You add up all of their debts and subtract it from their assets, such as they are, and they're underwater. A lot of that, by the way, is student debt. But anyway, it's underwater. So no, don't um, get me started on student loans. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh. But here's the thing. Some people think, well, okay, Joe, the housing discrimination laws have passed a long time ago. Yeah. Anybody can get a loan. But talk about some of the difficulties that people in uh, that, that are raised poor that are raised in uh, as a minority, is it still difficult for them to get credit, to get good mortgages? Uh, do they still have, what are some of the challenges that they face that we're not familiar with? I think that historically, there was, it was much worse even post 1968, right? Where realtors would deliberately yeah. uh, steer the families into black neighborhoods. And some of that probably still occurs. Yeah, it does. And so I, I think that that's very problematic. It reminds me, there was just a story the other day um, in the Wall Street Journal, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, and, and this has kind of been going on. This has been in the news for the last year or so. They'll have a black family who's getting trying to sell their house. Yeah. And they get, they, they're there to show the house. It's a nice home. The appraiser appraises it at a lower, at a low yeah. price, lower yeah. than I thought. Then they switch it. There's a term for this too. Um, I forget. There's a term for this. Yeah. They bring in a white family to pretend like they're the owners. Yes. With it, and then the appraisal will come in significantly higher. Yeah. Is it still oh. happening today? I, I literally just talked to a friend of mine. The exact, like, like 
sold a house in U City, African American family, sold a house in U City, mm -hmm. less than a mile from where we are right now, is moving out to Chesterfield, had the exact same thing happen. Yeah. The exact same thing happen. So yeah, I mean, these are, all this stuff is off the books, right? So like, this is stuff that we can't really, I mean, how do you address it if somebody's like, how do you address racial steering? How do you address, yeah. you know, a racially discriminatory practice? If it's kind of under under the radar, I don't know. I mean, that's a yeah. problem. And, and and it is somewhat outside the scope of what the fam focuses. Yeah, on, it's right? true, right? Yeah, we acknowledge it that it still happens, man. It's okay, so but talk about like some of the challenges that Black families have with establishing credit, you know, and 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 having a, a positive net worth, so yeah. they can, it makes it easier to get mortgages. And so, as as I mentioned, most of our families. And I was I was very surprised by this, you know, having a negative uh, net worth. I wasn't anticipating that at all. Many of them are are educated, and there are there aren't the type of encouragements. And this is more poverty related than it is racially, of course. That within more impoverished families, you don't have a history of budgeting of of really carefully watching your money, understanding the implications of, well, if I take this payday loan, what does that really mean? And then there's the desperation of a, of a downward spiral that, that we've seen in several of our folks we're working with, hope to turn them into clients, where all of a sudden they're, they're getting a car loan at 28%. You know, they're, they're getting a, uh, these, these loans that last for three months and are at 45, 50% because in Missouri, we don't have laws against that usury laws. And so basically what ends up happening is, is they're in a spiral, they can't get out, they're in a mess. And we've talked internally about maybe addressing that, but it, you, you gotta kinda know what you're focused on and what you're good at. And for right now, what we do is we outsource those folks to people who, who can help them. You, you help them get the financial knowledge and training yeah. Yeah. on how to budget, yeah. uh, how to, um, how to um, increase your credit score, increase your credit score, update your debts. Absolutely. Get out from payday loans. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and yes. And, and it's usually those that are kind of, you look at their uh, credit report and you have a discussion with them, which we always do. And you see some things that can fairly easily be addressed. And, and the way I think about it is if they're within three months of being able to get from 580 credit score to 620, 625, then we work with them to get them there. If it looks like it's a little more desperate situation financially, we have partners that we uh, outsource them to and stay in touch with them because we want them six, nine months later to come back in and, and, and be able to help them get into a home. Joe, you, you're kind of asking about like like black folks today, like what's the what's the struggle today, right? And I think it's the, the, the trick is to not separate today from yesterday because because what happened yesterday impacts today. So for instance, like my, my grandfather on my father's side had an eighth grade education. He was a bus mechanic in St. Louis. He was kind of like German Dutch ancestry on my dad's side. He was able, he grew up in, he lived in Wellston. He was able to own a home in Wellston. And then when, when in the sixties, in the he was, he had incentives and he had the ability to buy a home and in Bridgeton, which is a good blue collar, solid right. middle class. Totally, totally. So and in Bridgeton in the in the sixties, fifties, sixties, you know, like that was it was like man, that was like and I it was like the in my mind it was like the Chesterfield of today. Like it was like you're moving out, you're moving up, right? 
any of his black colleagues, any other black bus mechanics working in the city for the city of St. Louis would not have had and did not have that opportunity, right? So same level of education, eighth grade education, same job, would not have had the opportunity, right? That opportunity impacted my father's ability to accrue generational wealth, right? So my grandfather was able to accrue wealth, hardworking guy, you know, and, and I would like, it was good for him to take advantage of the opportunities he had. He should do that. But, but, but so if you just put him side by side with a black colleague in the 1950s and 60s of the same, same mental capacity, same moral capacity, same, you know, education level, what you see is one has opportunity to go up. The other not only did not have that same opportunity, but but the opportunities were diminished because the neighborhoods where black folks of that era were permitted to live were also disinvested from. And so, you know, multiply that times 10,000, 100,000 people, a million people. And what you see is this, this, what you see is the stats of just like, whoa, this is what happened. Now, surely, obviously, there were some black folks that were able to find their way out of that. And there were obviously some white folks who like spiraled down, right? So it's not, it's not a hundred percent, right? But what you see statistically is right now, when you look at African-Americans in, in St. Louis and you see that like over 50% of African-Americans in St. Louis live below the poverty line and less than 11% of whites live below the poverty line in St. Louis, you have to not just look at today. You have to go, okay, how do we get here? And then how do we correct it? Because if you don't do anything to correct it, then what you get is it's like rolling a ball, right? It's going to keep rolling the direction that it was rolling until somebody stops it and rolls it another direction. And so, so what we're doing is stopping the ball and trying to roll it another direction, right? Because, because the, somebody stopped the ball in 1968 from a legal standpoint, right? Okay, we're not allowed to do this anymore. But the effects of that are just carried out through child, parent, child, parent, child, parent, right? Over generation, over generation times a million people. And so that's, that's where folks are today. We're trying to address the consequences of the wrongs of the past. All right, good. So we, th- we're, we're a real estate investing audience here. Yeah. Yeah. How can real estate investors help organizations like yours? Yeah. You know, we can donate money. I'd encourage everybody to go to the famstl.com. I've done that. And then, but, you know, let's say you're in Oklahoma, you're in Florida. What can investors do if they you know, this is not going to be my most popular podcast, right? <laughs> I'm not going to get the most downloads. I know we've already offended a bunch of people by something I said or didn't say. So yeah. I just apologize in advance for offending yeah. people. But this is so important. We've got to talk about it. I, I think, because uh, I personally, I'm a Christian and I don't want to be that guy that walks on the other side of the road and just yeah. ignores the problem and doesn't look at it. Yes. Um, I want to do something a little bit to help yeah. if I can, right? And uh, I think God is, you know, any kind of wealth that we have um, as investors, as business owners, as entrepreneurs, um, I believe God's given us wealth and blessings, not just for ourselves to hoard it. I think he's given it to us to be a blessing to other people as well. He wants us to be generous. And I think the more generous we are on this side of heaven, the more prosperous and the more rewards we're going to have in heaven for eternity, right? So, like this is a this is a big deal. Is what I'm trying to say. All right. So, what what is it that investors, real estate investors, can do to help? You know, the community. We're not talking necessarily about revitalizing homes in bad neighborhoods. There's maybe nothing wrong with that, but like that's not our that's not our gift. That's right. not ours. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, so one of the things that we're looking forward to doing, and, and we put our toe in the water already, is to acquire through the, I'm going to call it the wholesale real estate community, yeah. acquiring homes that, that may need some renovation, et cetera. And we are looking for generous folks who will uh, view it either as a tithe or something, some portion of that activity could go toward organizations like the FAM. There are organizations that are kind of in this space in any you know major metropolitan area. And so you, you spoke, Joe, of, of Oklahoma City or, or wherever else. And so these, these organizations exist, um, not necessarily quite the way we, we do things. Nevertheless, we're starting that process, and, and the numbers look very promising. To be able to acquire a home at wholesale prices and to do some work with a skilled labor at a discount, because we have access to that and volunteers, means that these families can go into home ownership with a sometimes a significant amount of equity, which yeah. is really significant yeah. in terms of changing the whole trajectory for that family. So I love that. Is, is there a way, and maybe this is a dumb question, because we're not asking people like to donate tens of thousands of dollars, yeah. right? but let's say you're a wholesaler yeah, and you find a good deal. Yeah. yeah. Maybe instead of wholesaling that house to a rehabber, yeah. Yeah. sell the house at cost yeah. just, or sell or assign the contract to yeah. an organization like the FAM. Yes. And, and so that the FAM can buy it. That's right. At, at a significant discount. And they have this team that they can put to do the rehab. That's right? right. Is there a way, like, maybe this is a dumb question, but for the tax advantages, could a wholesaler donate a property and then write off the profits that they might have had on that property? If they would have made five grand in wholesaling it, is there a way to do that? That's an interesting question. And I would have to defer to a tax expert right. and give that some more thought. If there's a way to do that, we'll, we'll help you that figure out. That would be beautiful. <laughs> yeah, because one of the things, like, so some people just give, they, they just want to give to this organization. And so we've had donors give of course, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, we've had people give very significant gifts, right? That's, what, that's why we're able to do. That's why we've had 17 homes sure. in the first year, in the first six months, really. I mean, from the time we actually July started. 1st, yeah, yeah, right. So we, if, if, that, if any of your audience is desirous of doing that, we will accept your donation happily. Um, but I like the, the other option too, because like, let's say that somebody says, look, I don't want to give, but I want to invest in this, right? Not for accruing a huge profit to myself, but like if somebody said, right, all right, can I, can I, can I, um, can I, can I loan the fam a hundred thousand, right? Or can I put a hundred thousand into an account to be used to buy a home and then and uh, renovation and yeah. then, and renovation. And yeah. then when we sell it, right, get your money back. Maybe we could, maybe we could work out a deal where there's some small, um, increasing percentage. percentage for you. Yeah. Financing. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean that those kinds of, those kinds of opportunities are amazing because we can be highly competitive in the wholesale market because we don't have to make a profit. What, what we really want is for our clients to have equity in their home. Right now, on average, and John, correct me if I don't get the numbers right, with the 17 families that we have put in homes, on average, their net worth has increased by $20,000. Wow. For, for on average, for all of the 17 families. So th this, is, this is like a game changer in somebody's life. Yeah. $20,000 increase yeah. in net worth, right? 
They have equity in their homes. They have they have they live in nice neighborhoods. Their kids are going to decent schools. They're making friends with people uh, that they would not have otherwise not otherwise have contact with. Yep. Right. They are, you know, and it's 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 a game changer. So if somebody said, look, yeah, I want to either give or I want to invest in this organization. Yeah. Um, there are opportunities to do both of those yep. things. Nice. And I just wanted to clarify, too, just so it's clear to everybody, we're not asking a wholesaler to donate a house. Yeah. Right. To yeah. sell the house to the fam. Yeah. Sell it to us. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah that's huge. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of opportunity. You know, maybe it's, you know, there's a lot of guys out there that are wholesaling a lot of deals. Yeah. You know? if, they, if, they would get, if they would sell us one out of 10 of their good ones, great. We'll take that, you know, that would and, be you've, and you've got the team yeah. that can help rehab it. Yeah. You've got the lenders that will, the banks yeah. and, and even hard money lenders that will lend on the deal temporarily until yeah. you yeah. purchase yeah. some bridge financing to, yeah. to, to get permanent financing in it. Yeah. Um, and you've got the people that are doing credit counseling yeah. with the people that you're working with. So I think it's, and we got the buyers lined up out the door. Yeah, they're still the buyers. <laughs> they're ready to go. Yeah. That's so awesome. Yeah, man. Okay. So I wanted to keep this under 45 minutes. Anything you want to say just to kind of wrap it up? Maybe there's somebody that is thinking like, I want to do this in Oklahoma city. I want to do this in, in uh, I don't know, Beverly Hills or something, right? Like, but like if somebody else wants to do this in their own ho home, you know, like what would you recommend to them? I would, I would recommend they take our model and totally rip it off and steal nice. everything that we do okay. and take all of our Absolutely. language and do it exactly the same way there. The only per the only thing they can't have is John Keel because <laughs> John is making it happen here. And, and, you know, they need to find, they need to find themselves at John Keel to like actually get down in the, in the weeds and yeah. work with the people and make it happen. But I would say, please rip us, rip us off, take everything we have, go do the same thing elsewhere. Right. That that's what I would say for folks and, in and, other states. And contact us and we'll help. Yeah. We'll help you get yeah. up, up and Absolutely. running. We, we would like, our goal is to eliminate race as a factor in home ownership in St. Louis in one generation. If it's if, if other people want to do that in their cities, man, this model is clean, it's simple, it works, and it's it's amazing, right? And it's it's actually within a few years, I think we will see a statistically significant bend in the curve of mm. black home ownership in St. Louis, like like yeah. measurable, where people yeah. go, oh my gosh, right? So yeah, so if that people want to do it in other cities, go for it. Um, if, if you want to be a part of what we're doing here and, and get a picture of the vision that we're trying to create here in St. Louis, contact us. And, and I would just real quickly say, Joe, dude, I am so grateful for you because you're, you're a real estate investor guy. Like this is your wheelhouse, man. And you have, you know, you have really opened up to, to like, you have, you went into this, right? You didn't walk on the other side of the road. Yeah. And you said, "Wait, let me let, let me get a closer look at this." Yeah. And you you got in there with us, and you have been thinking through and talking through, and and been supportive and bringing us on this podcast and giving us ideas and contacts. I mean, so we just want to say thank you Absolutely. to you for the oh. way you are leaning into this deal, man. This is huge. Well, thank you. It's an honor, really. It is, and uh, I'm excited to see where this goes. You know, it's just a, it's it's a, it's that pebble in the pond, and it's making a ripple. Mm -hmm. And it, sure. it, it'll, it'll have an effect for eternity for yeah. some of these families. Right. You know, it reminds me of the verse where Jesus says, you know, use your money. He's talking about the shrewd steward. Do you remember this yeah. story, Brent? Yeah. You can probably tell it better than I can. But this guy is, he knows he's going to get fired because he's mishandled his owner's master's money. Yeah. And uh, he settles some debts with some other guys. 
Yeah. And then the master says, well, look at this guy. He's so shrewd with his money. And uh, then he uses this phrase, you know, about using your worldly wealth to win eternal friends or friends yeah. for eternity or something yeah, like that. Right. So they can accept you in heavenly places. Yeah. And I, I, I don't understand the full context of that, but I'm wondering if that maybe what he might have meant, part of what he meant was when we use our money here to help people, I mean, there's nothing really spiritual about helping some family buy a house or donating a little bit of money or donating a, a deal or you know whatever. But maybe in heaven, right? There'll be somebody that comes up to you and says, "Hey, what's going on, buddy?" You're, yeah. you know, and you we we make some re really incredible friends in heaven sure. and we do something that just gets them there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know, maybe I totally like, out of context. In my mind, we are like and this is the way I believe personally, but we are this is everything that we have belongs to God. All my money, my house, my car, my wife, my children, everything that, that I that is in my possession actually belongs to God. And when God teaches us how to handle his stuff and we handle it correctly, that pleases him, right? If my financial advisor mishand if I told him to invest in stocks and he put it all in bonds, I'd be ticked because I told him to put it in stocks and he put it in bonds, right? God's told us what to do with our money. Right. And part of what we're to do with our money is to invest it in the in the service of those who are in need. There's about 10,000 scriptures <laughs> along those lines. Right. Yeah. So when we do what God tells us to do with his money, he's really pleased. And when we don't, <laughs> it's uh, I think the, the other parable with the with the talents ends with somebody uh, in outer darkness uh, yeah. gnashing their teeth. It's not so good. He, he, he gets he, he doesn't like that. No, it's not good. Yeah. All right, cool. TheFamSTL.com, TheFamSTL.com. And again, if you were in another city and, and something that we said spoke to you and you're like, man, I want to do that where I live or yeah. like Brent, Brent said there, just take what you see at that website and copy it. Go for it. Copy and paste. Yep. Copy and paste TheFamSTL.com. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what's going on, what's going to happen with you guys in 2022. Hopefully there's somebody listening to this that can come up with a creative idea or like, well, maybe if you thought about this or here's a connection that you might want to talk to. I was thinking of a few people just now. Um, I'm going to make some phone calls for you guys. Can I, um, can I just say one last thing, Joe? Yeah. I, just, I just realized that. I just remember this because people care about this, right? And this is important. We have no employees at the fam. Hmm. Okay. John is a retired business guy, sold his business, made a lot of money. And uh, and is working 100% for free pro bono. Wow! I don't make a dime on this. I and I'm, I don't want to get super spiritual, but I'm not. God told me that I'm not allowed to to make money off of this thing. Right? I'm not allowed to draw a paycheck off of this. So everybody in this organization is working for free, which means other than like some the cost of your flyer, you know, I think yeah. we got a hundred of those, sure. and like a you know uh, our website, like some very small, minimal, yeah. minimal, de minimis kind of expenses. We're like 98% all the money given and uh, awesome. invested goes to our, goes to the mission and to the cause. So that's just something that somebody might care about. Oh, that's, that's a big deal. That's awesome. John, any final words from you? No, except for thank you very much. This, this has been great. I want to interview you guys again great. next year. Yeah. yeah. And uh, let's hear about your progress. I want you guys to double your goal. What, what is your goal for homes next year? 50. <laughs> okay. A hundred. A hundred it is. Awesome. <laughs> so be it. Awesome. All right. Thank, Thank you. you guys. Appreciate Thanks it. Thanks so much, John, man. For being on the show. Oh, by the way, Brent, uh, Pastor Brent, yeah. what is your church? If somebody's familiar, wants to yeah. be maybe in the, in the area, what church do you go to lead and, and what's? Yeah, we're called One Family Church. 
You can find us in the Tivoli Theater on the Del Mar Loop. You can find us at the corner of Shaw and Tower Grove in the Shaw neighborhood. Uh, and you can find our online campus at onefamilychurch.com. Onefamilychurch.com. You guys stream your services. Yeah, we I've do. I've watched a couple of them. They're fun. Yeah. Uh, my pastor is friends with you. And yeah. uh, it's a really good church, really yeah, solid man. church. The one, tell me the website one more time. Onefamilychurch.com. Onefamilychurch.com. If you're in the yeah. St. Louis area, you just want to watch it online, yeah. go check it out. All right. Thanks again, guys. Thanks, Thanks you, brother. See you all later. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you.